It's Monday, and I'd like to welcome you back to the latest episode of the Joust About Careers podcast. As always, this is the place to learn about careers from the people who are actually in the trenches every day. I'm your host, Brian Brott, and I want to see all people make good career and life decisions. My guest today is Bailey Hoyne, a process engineer for Boston Scientific who lives in Israel. Bailey shares about what she does as a process engineer, how her co-ops in college helped her identify the specific type of engineering she enjoyed, what it's like to live in Israel, and much more. Whether you're interested in a career as an engineer, are still exploring your options, or want to live overseas someday, I hope that what Bailey shares today will help all of you make better career decisions and have fulfilling career journeys. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Joust About Careers podcast. And today we have 2015 Van Buren graduate Bailey Hoying with us. She is a process development engineer with Boston Scientific in Israel. So we are going overseas today for this interview. So I'm excited to hear about Bailey's career and what has led up to where she is today. So Bailey, thank you very much for joining us. And I want to start out by just learning a little bit about what does Boston Scientific do and then what do you do as a process engineer? Yeah, so Boston Scientific is a medical device company, um, pretty big. We have sites all over the world and we specialize in products that deal with endoscopy, urology, cardiac, and we do a little bit in like the deep brain stimulation or DBS, um, different kind of stents, things like that. So we have a range of products that help a lot of people um, that need them. And it's great medical devices that we do. Um, as for process development, this is something that I actually did not know about in college. I feel like in college, a lot of people really dive deep into the R&D aspects so the research and development, the I'm going to design a product and go along with it. And we're going to, these are the requirements that we're going to do to make this product. Um, process development is a little bit further into that process of making a new product. Um, a lot of process development is the product is already designed. You have everything, like all the qualifications you need into it. And now you have to figure out a way to make the product. Like you can't just design it on a computer and say, done, we're good to go. We have to make it now. And I think no one realizes how hard that is until you get into it. Um, and it's actually very fascinating. And I enjoy the challenge a lot because you don't have to conceptualize what it's going to look like like what the product is going to look like. You just have to conceptualize how you're going to put two things together. So um, so I worked on a product that is now released into the market somewhere in Canada and stuff like that. So we've released it and I can talk about it, um, which is the LithoView Elite ureteroscope. Um, and what's cool about that is it was the first ureteroscope that actually could track pressure um, in the kidneys, which was very difficult technology to work with. Um, but one of my tasks, and it, it doesn't sound that cool when you talk about it, but 
it was like making sure the tip stayed onto the device. So like when the cap had all the electronics on it, like and all that, and you put it onto the shaft of the device, because a ureter scope is like this handle that you have and you can have a lever and it makes the little tip go over and out and it has to be skinny and long to fit all the way up through all the tubes that it needs to, to get into the kidneys. Right. And so, you know, all the cameras, all the pressure sensors and all that was in the tip. And we had to make sure that, you know, we didn't leak, we didn't have any electronic damage and it didn't fall off into somebody. So like, it's, it's a very important thing yeah. that we need to yeah. do. Um, <laughs> And it also was a very manual process. So what, because you have to glue it together. So I didn't realize how hard it was to work with adhesive until we got into it. Um, but process development includes, you know, you have a machine, what are the parameters on the machine and how do you narrow it down between these levels? How do you get an upper tolerance, a lower tolerance, and what are you actually working with? And so, like, you have these tolerance ranges. If something goes wrong, they can play around with it in manufacturing. Later on, if for some reason in five months we get a complaint something's not working or we're getting a lot of scrap in five months because they changed something else in the beginning of the line or they changed something in the end of the line, everything kind of connects. So in process development, you have to think about if I'm at this section and what, what I'm doing is changing an entire parameter on how we do this, how is this going to affect our design in the long term, like down the line? Is this going to affect our verifications down the line? Um, so it's a lot of working with operators, playing around, super hands-on. Um, like I had to work with adhesive myself to figure out, does this actually work? Um, doing a lot of testing, things like that. So I think it's the best of both worlds where you're developing something and then you actually get to see it in real life. You see the product being built and working. So it's a really cool, it's a really cool thing. That is cool. So how many adhesives would you say you work with over the course of trying to figure this out? So a lot of my adhesive was already, they decided which one they wanted. Oh, okay. okay. So I didn't have to deal with that part. I just had to deal with how much was coming out and how it was going to cure properly because it's a two-part adhesive so you need one part the other part oh, to cure it okay and then however long it cures can we make it faster not faster right does it right. get all over the place right. all that stuff huh. and that's interesting too how you're talking about you know it's really easy to come up with something on paper but then when it comes to let's actually make this work mm -hmm. much more difficult and, and that's interesting yeah. And I think it's something that you don't always think about. And I had actually co-opt with an orthopedic company when I was in college. And this was something I didn't think about when we were doing orthopedics. So I was in a patient-matched implant section where you could design it on computer however you wanted. And then someone actually had to custom make it because they were custom-made implants for people who had you know, cancer or just they had a pelvic problem. They had a rebuild the whole bone. Mm -hmm. And I would talk to those machinists and they were phenomenal at what they did. And they're like, yeah, you can't do it this way because the angle's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting to see like how the conceptualization does not always work into machining it. And right. you, you don't always think about doctors don't think about that. So. Right. 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 That's interesting. Mm -hmm. As you think about yourself back in high school, uh, you said that when you were in college, you weren't even necessarily thinking about being a process engineer. 
What were you thinking about when you left high school? What did you think your career path was going to be? So in high school, I was very lost in what I wanted to do. (laughs) I had no idea. Um, I think I came up with biomedical engineering just randomly. Really, like Shoemaker had brought it up to me as like if you wanted to be an engineer you could do this or it's also a great path if you wanted to do med school later on if that's something you wanted to do you have two paths you can and it's really easy to get in med school if you do biomedical engineering i was like let's open up the path because it's (laughs) because it's a it's engineering it's not just biology um it makes you stand out and the courses are a little you could say harder i can't say it is or not because I didn't do the other one. Right. But um, but theoretically, you can get in a lot easier if you do biomedical engineering than if you just do, like, biology, because everyone does biology. Um, so I was like, let's do it. <laughs> that's, that's kind of how I went for it. I didn't know exactly where it was going to lead me, but I found medical devices interesting. I was like, maybe I could go into – I looked into it a little bit, and I was like – They do prosthetics, they do orthopedics, there's so many things we can do. And I can also, if I choose, not go down the medical path, and I don't have to go be a doctor, I can stay back and do engineering and still help people behind the scenes. And I don't have to be that forefront customer service person if I don't want to be. Right. So So you gave yourself a lot of options with (laughs) this career path. How did you pick Akron? And you'd mentioned your co-ops a little bit. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about those? I, I think I counted up. You had five co-ops. I did. Uh, is, is that typical? Is that atypical? So a little bit about Akron and that experience. Yeah. So um, Akron happened to have the cheapest school <laughs> that I that I applied to. So a lot of that was based off of money. Um, and I do want to iterate that, like, go whichever school you go to, it really does not matter. Right. <laughs> the degree, it, as long as you get a degree, I mean, some people look at your college, but, you know, as long as you can interview well, it's fine. Um, and you know what you're talking about. So I chose Akron mostly because it was a lot cheaper. They gave me the scholarships. It was away from home a little bit. And I wanted a little bit of that freedom. Um, and when I visited, it seemed nice. It was it wasn't bad. Um, so I thought it was a good school to go to and I thought it'd be fun. And so we chose it and I knew they had three different um, they had three different tracks that you could choose from. So we had biomechanics, um, tissues, and then the electronics section. So you either had like all of your electronics, whatever that is, electrical. It was basically like biomedical and electrical, biomedical chemical, which is a lot of people who do at the med school because it's a lot more research and stuff, or you have biomedical and mechanical. Um, I chose the biomechanics track because prosthetics, orthopedics, I thought that was really cool. So I was like that one. Um, so I was, so in theory, if I wanted to, I could, they also gave the option because a lot of the courses were similar. You could do both biomedical, biomechanics, and then a double major into mechanical. I did not go that path, but I know a lot of people who did. Um, probably would have been better if I went that path because, uh, <laughs> mostly because when I was doing a lot of my um, career fairs, there was not a lot of biomedical companies that were at those career fairs. 
And so, and a lot, and it's still a very new major. So a lot of people don't exactly know what it is. And so when I would go up to different companies, I'm like, I do the same thing as a mechanical engineer. I just have a little more biology background. I take anatomy. That's a lot of the differences or like they'll gear the subject towards anatomy. So fluids would be instead of through a pipe, it was through a vessel, um, things like that. So it wasn't entirely different. Um, but I would go up to a couple of companies and they're like, ah, biomedical, not what we're looking for. I'm just handing my resume back. So it was kind of like, it felt like a lot of doors were closed. Right. Um, I was fortunate enough that my first co-op and five is not super typical. Um, for some people it is the college required three minimum. So you had the option of doing more than three, but three minimum was what you needed for a co-op to be on your record. Um, so I actually was fortunate enough and knew uh, someone from Cooper Tire and Rubber Company and asked them if I could, maybe I gave them my resume and was like, if you have a chance, if you have an opening, let me know if, if I can interview. And I happened to get the job, um, which was a little weird. A lot of people thought it was weird that I was going into a tire company. <laughs> but I learned a lot. I feel like from where I was to where I am now, it was, it's, way different um so i had worked on a project i'm not sure if i'm allowed to talk about it just because it was very new and i don't think they've come out with it that's okay and stuff like that but i worked a lot um in a certain development stage and it was interesting it was a lot of testing a lot of data work and i learned a lot of like maybe if i do all this testing i need to organize myself a little bit more um, communication skills was important thing to learn in that first one. And I just learned a lot about tires. It was interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then after that, I was supposed to have my first official co-op that's the next spring. So I went summer and I needed to go in the spring and I wanted to go more biomedical. So I was like, I don't want to do Cooper Tire again. Nothing against them. I just wanted something else. And Zimmer Biomet actually happened to be one of the companies that was at our career fair. And, um, and so I actually, we had a, a test right before the career fair and it was very stressful. So I ended up uh, just going up to a different booth that I didn't really know too much. And I was like, let me just get all the jitters out first right. and got them out there. And then I went over to them Um 10 out of 10 would recommend it. <laughs> it helped. Um, went over to them, ended up doing my elevator pitch. Then we had interviews and they offered me a co-op position for the spring. And um, so that was, it was great. I was so excited. I called my mom. I was like, I got it. I got a new job. It's in Indiana. Um, and so what I did with Zimmer was I was I had the option to do it three times. Um, so it would have been my spring the next fall because you weren't allowed to do the summer because it would offer certain benefits and they didn't allow co-ops to do a full year from like spring, summer, fall. You could do like fall, spring, summer. Okay. So it was like something from like the January to December that was a little uh, iffy for them. Yep. So I ended up doing Zimmer, then Cooper again, and then Zimmer, and then Zimmer back in the summer. So for Zimmer Biomet, they have a ton of different 
orthopedic divisions. And so um, the first semester I was in the knees division, the second semester I was in patient matched implants, and then the third I was in upper extremities. And all three offered very different experiences. I think in my, that first semester, no one really knew what they were doing, even the company. So it was a lot of learning with the company on what they wanted. And then when we came back, when I came back in the fall, I was off of that project because patient matched implants was not part of it. They're in a very gray area anyway. Um, so it was a very different experience there. So I was more documentation in the first semester. Second semester, I was working with, you know, the different CAD designs, whatever, like SolidWorks. It wasn't SolidWorks. It was NX, I think. And then they also had this putty CAD device where they were like, basically it was like clay on a screen. So you had a pen and you were like molding clay and you had the person's x-ray bones that you were like either erasing the bone, adding it. It's very cool. Um, and then you had like, to, you could talk to all the machinists about what they do, lots of 3D printing. So that was like kind of the research and development that I had thought of originally of what this is. Um, and then the third semester in upper extremities, I was back on that original project, but it was a little more structured to where they had other projects intertwined with it where they were like, okay, we're going to say you're developing a product. How would you go through the process? So we would learn a little bit more than just being stuck on the documentation side, um, which was great. It gave me a way better experience in that first semester because the first semester was a mess. Um, and I don't feel bad saying that either because they, they knew it from yeah. all the, the reviews we had. Um, but they, they had fixed it. I thought they fixed it and they did a very good job afterwards. Um, and I think that's what a co-op is, is you learn from each other. If you have a bad experience, give that review, a professional review, but you need to give the review to them so they can fix it later on. Mm -hmm. And I think they did that. Um, and I was also able to experience different cadaver labs, um, you could practice the surgeries on sawbones, on cadavers. Um, I watched doctors do the surgeries. It was a very cool experience. Um, but at the end of that, I had decided I didn't want to work in orthopedics anymore. Um, I also did not want to live in that area anymore. It's a very small town. I was like, I want something else. Um, so... I felt like I wanted to close that chapter and that was my decision on what I wanted to do. Um, everyone had a different opinion. That was mine. Um, as for Cooper Tire, I knew I wasn't going to stay there forever. That was just something that, where I could just keep honing in different skills and talking to new people and networking. And it gave me different perspectives on engineering. So I wasn't with one company. I was with two companies and I was able to understand what I wanted out of a company and the people and how I wanted to be um, managed. Right. So I thought that was very valuable experience for me. Um, and I, I would suggest if people can go into more than one company, it's probably preferred because it's good to see other sides of companies as well. Um, how I got into Boston Scientific it was a lot of, I was emailing a lot of people. So, um, I ended up asking for an HR rep's email. I sent off my resume. I emailed them specifically and said, 
hello, kind of like a mini cover letter, but it wasn't really a cover letter. She's like, hello, here's my resume. I know what you do. Please email me back. Let me know. And I got a bite. I got an interview and they had a plant also in Indiana, <laughs> in Spencer, Indiana, um, near Bloomington. And so I ended up interviewing. It went really well. Um, and something that they didn't end up doing with me that they do with a lot of people was they usually bring someone to, they bring you to the site for an actual, like a second interview. And they didn't end up doing that for me. Um, which was lucky because I got the offer right before COVID and then I accepted right before COVID. And then I was texting them like, what's happening (laughs) (laughs) because a lot of people were getting their offers rescinded and taken away after they signed. So I was like, am I okay? Do I need to look elsewhere? And they had said, because I had signed it before they shut everything down, they weren't going to rescind it. And I was like, Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I got very lucky. Um, So, and I had looked at Boston Scientific and I was more interested into their Marlboro site just for, you know, a a change of scenery on the East Coast compared to the Midwest. Um, But overall, I think it opened a door for me that I didn't expect. And I think that's something that I have found throughout my entire career so far is like, things I didn't expect to happen. Like I wasn't expecting to go into engineering. I wasn't expecting to go to Akron, you know, things just kind of popped up and you modified your route as doors opened and you continued on. Um, And so that's kind of what happened there. And um, so when I got to Boston, uh, no one was on site. A lot of my first couple months was me figuring everything out on my own. Like the first day someone was on site to show me the ropes. And then that was kind of it. There was no orientation. There was, there was not a lot. So yeah, it was crazy. Um, So I ended up, you know, going to the floor a lot, learning, talking with the operators. And I think it's important to be able to talk to, if you are in this position to talk to the operators as an equal and not someone who's below you um, just because they have a lower pay grade or they're like hourly doesn't mean that they're lesser or they don't have the same intelligence as you. They know the products more than you do. And I think that's important to have that mindset because some people do not. And then they do not like that person. They're w- way less willing to help. Right. Um, so, um, but I learned a lot of valuable skills in that too. You, it was one of those sink or swims. Like you're either going to learn really fast and figure it out or you're not going to learn anything and you're going to be stuck for a year. Right. And I was already behind a lot of people that had just started because I was the only one who had not been at the company before. A lot of the times they bring in the co-ops that they had previously. And so that was also like a different dynamic for them and for me. And so um, I actually was working with, someone who was in Marlboro and he couldn't, we, they had a flight ban. They couldn't actually um, fly him back and forth like he usually did. And Marlboro is in Massachusetts? Massachusetts. Yes. Okay. It's okay. by Boston. It's like okay. 40 minutes outside of Boston. Okay. Um, and so they had a travel ban. He wasn't allowed to come back and forth and whatever. And so we would just chat online and he's like, this is what I need you to do. 
And so I did feel like a glorified co-op for a while, which I had, <laughs> I had communicated that afterwards. I was like, I knew it was necessary, but this is what I feel like. And then like, we get it. And they gave me a new project. Um, okay. And that's, again, that comes down to communication. You've, you communicate what you're feeling. You're like, this is what I want out of this. And this is my goal. And then people work with you to get there. Um, and I find that very important. And I, that's how I ended up getting my own process. And I was able to do all of my own characterizations, validations, all of that. And I learned so much so quickly. So um, basically within the two years I was at Spencer, I, I had caught up to the people who were there before me and was fully even with them within a year, which I thought was great. Um, and... And so once, once Lithview Elite was about to launch, when the project was about to wrap up for our process development side, I wanted to look for a different opportunity. I was like, I'm young, I can move around, I can figure things out. And so my original thought was going into R&D in Marlboro. So again, trying to get out to Boston, Massachusetts area. Right. I, so I had spoke, I had communicated that to my superiors and I said, hey, this is what I want to do. How can we do it? I know the project's ending in March. It was December. Can we start making moves to do this to where I'm there by the summer? And they're like, yep, we'll see what we can do. And what happened was not a lot of moves were being made, <laughs> at least from my perspective. Um, they had told me they were working on it, but it wasn't going to be for another month another month, another month, another month. And then June came and they're like, maybe in three months. And oh, I was like, <laughs> so yeah, so it, it kept getting delayed. Right. And I, I had already communicated that I wanted it. And so I was talking to one of my coworkers and he had done an acquisition integration assignment in Malaysia at one point um, during COVID. <laughs> so they were <laughs> confined to their rooms for a while. There were guards at the door. Oh, wow. Totally different experience, right? right so, right. Um, which they were, once they had like their quarantine, they were allowed to explore the islands and stuff, but they couldn't go outside the country. Um, but he ended up coming to me and he said, hey, they're looking for someone to go to Israel. Would you like to go? And I said, at this point, I will take anything. I'm, I'm not enjoying where I'm at right now. The project wrapped up where I was what I was doing was not enjoyable to me because it wasn't nothing was being developed. We didn't have a new product to develop. We were just kind of doing what we were doing and improving what we had, which was fine, but I wanted, I wanted more. Um, and so they gave me an interview and it was not a position I was really excited about, but then they ended up coming up with a different sort of adjacent position that they're like, we actually need help in this area too. And so that was a production and process control. So kind of an adjacent to process development because we're not actually developing any products here. They're all developed and um, they offered me that. And I think I got that in July. And then we made moves to get me out here in October. So it was very quick. Right. I had to figure out how to wrap up my life in a box, put it in storage and then move 
me and my dog across the world. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it was, it was a very quick process after that. And then here we are right. <laughs> in Israel. So, you know, I read, you, you said you're taking Hebrew classes and, you know, what, what's the culture like there? Are the Hebrew classes, is that all on your own or was that the company encouraging you to do that? Or, or I guess, what else have they done to acclimate you to that new culture? Yeah. So we were supposed to have culture classes, which I don't think I ever got, but um, they also paid for the uh, Hebrew classes that we take. So, um, and if you wanted to go past the first level, you kind of just had a request and they can sign you up for others. Um, So to act and to be completely honest, you can get away with being in Israel without knowing any Hebrew. They, everyone here, probably 80% of the people here know English um, or at least a couple words that can get you by. Um, So a lot of people have given up on trying to speak. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing well, if I'm being honest. (laughs) I might be in the third class, but I'm not doing well. Um, Every time someone speaks to me, I just freeze up and like deer in headlights. Like, what are you saying? (laughs) But uh, so it's, I think it's helped a lot that people were here before me. So I'm not sure how they were able to do it prior to when I got here and how to, you know, acclimate and be in this environment originally. Um, But when I got here, a lot of the people from the States, from Costa Rica, from Ireland were already here and they had already kind of figured a lot of things out, how to get gas, which apparently is a process. Um, So what you have to do is you have to put in your Israeli ID, which we do not have. So figuring that out um and i think you can override it with a couple things but you have you have to know that before you do it right or you right. find someone that's a full service um or you know driving culture it's a very aggressive driving culture here so um maybe similar to boston uh i've heard <laughs> or like people are very direct here, you know, and and especially in the Midwest, people are very passive aggressive and they don't always say what they mean here. You know, if they're upset, you know, if they're, they want you to do something, they're very direct. Um, Things like that, I guess. So a lot of it, you kind of figure it out on your own. Some people kind of warn you, tell you. And a lot of the things I asked before I came here, because I had a very preconception notion of, the Middle East. Israel is in the Middle East. So I was like, do you feel safe? Do you feel safe as a woman? Do you feel respected as a woman? Am I going to have problems? Um, you know, what What do you feel like when you're there? And everyone I had talked to was like, everyone is very nice. You won't feel any difference. It's going to be okay. Um, have not felt unsafe at all. And I feel like a lot of that was true when I got here. Um, I do not always, you don't really feel like you're in the Middle East, quote unquote. Um, At least from my perspective, it doesn't, like, there's not, there's not bombs everywhere. There's not missiles everywhere. It's, no one's constantly in a shelter. Um, 
it's very modern buildings, cars, electricity, everything. It's basically like what you would find in a normal American city, um, maybe a little dustier just because we are in the desert. <laughs> right. Um, maybe a little bit more camels if you go south in the desert. Really? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a very it's a very modern society. Everyone is very very nice. The clothing restriction there's not really any clothing restrictions unless you go into holy places, and in that aspect you need to respect you know the culture. Mm -hmm. um, it's still a very religious culture over here. So weekends are Friday Saturday instead of Saturday Sunday. So that was that took some adjusting to, and then because Shabbat starts at sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. A lot of things will close Friday afternoon through Saturday and don't, they don't open until Sunday. So you have to kind of adjust a lot of your chores if you want to do that too. I know my chores were always Sundays right before work and getting everything done, you know, all my grocery shopping, laundry, everything. And all of a sudden, like most of the grocery stores are closed Saturdays. So um, there's a, uh, there's definitely a couple open. There's still like not everything, everything is closed on Saturdays. Right. There's still things that are open, but there's a lot that close, hmm. which is different. All the right. kosher stuff, you know, you have all your butchers that are kosher. There's not a lot of pork anywhere. So if you want to find bacon, you got to go find it. Hmm. Um, <laughs> that would yeah. be rough for some Americans. <laughs> Yeah, they do have it. You just you just got to find it. There is a uh, shop in the downtown area. It's a very Christian Arab downtown area. And it's a it's a deli, basically. So they have a bunch of sandwiches. And then you can also they're also butchers. So they have everything. They do have bacon wrapped hot dogs over there. I will say. <laughs> OK, <laughs> very cool. Well, yeah, I mean, what a great experience. Like you said, this is a time in your life where you can go do that and you don't have to worry about anything but your dog. And, uh, and, you know, what a great opportunity for you. So as you think about if someone wanted to go into biomedical, medical engineering, you know, the process engineering that you do, uh, is there any big piece of advice that you would give to someone who's considering that? I would say a big piece of advice is if you want to go into engineering, make sure you like math and science first. Um, make sure you really enjoy anatomy if you want biomedical and you will need to really hone in on those elevator pitches and interview skills if you want to be a biomedical engineer. Um, even the biomedical companies are a little wary about biomedical engineers sometimes. Um, they do prefer mechanical. <laughs> so if you're gonna go into that field, Make sure you know what you want and you're not afraid to tell them I'm just as good and I can tell you why. Um, because I feel like that was a big thing for me and learning for me. Um, as for process development, I think that's a fairly, not super easy thing to get into, but I think it's a lot easier than research and development just because a lot of research and development companies, they want people who have experience already, whereas process development it's a lot closer to manufacturing so if you don't get into process development right away manufacturing is a good way to go it's very high intensity um a lot of work 
um, a lot of perseverance, a lot of hands-on. So if you don't like hands-on, it's probably not the place for you. And then you can always move into process development after that. Um, and I think medical devices are just really cool in general. So if you, if you, anything sounds really interesting, um, in any like capacity of medical devices, if you like prosthetics at all, orthopedics, endoscopy, urology, cardiac, DBS, um, any thing that you want to help someone through surgery where they're like, this could be life-threatening and I want to help in this way, or this is just very uncomfortable for people and they live with it every day. Everyone knows someone who's had a kidney stone mm -hmm. and maybe they haven't had surgery, but everyone knows someone who's had one. Um, they're very common and very painful. So if you want to be a part of something that helps someone like relieve that pain, I would say go for it. And I think connections are everything. So um, making sure that you can connect with the right people. Um, the medical device world is not incredibly big, I feel like. There's a lot of companies, but I feel like a lot of companies know each other. A lot of small companies are going to get bought up by the bigger companies. That's just how it goes. Um, especially in medical devices. So, yeah, I think it's really cool too. Like you said, the Boston scientific, you didn't even necessarily see a job posting. You just no. reached out to them and said, Hey, I'm interested in working for you and just, yeah, not sitting back and waiting for things to happen, but going out and making things happen. I, I think, yeah, you're a great example of that. Yeah. I think if anyone wants to even be in a position where I am and they want to travel the world and do acquisitions like I'm doing, you have to be a go-getter. And in this position in particular, no one tells me what to do daily. I have to figure it out. I have to go and find it. I have to go and find the problem. People have to come to me. I have to be a leader. So if being a go-getter is going to get you a lot of places and it's going to get you into a role that shows leadership and gets you a lot of recognition. Um, and if you are not one of those people, then doing an acquisition is probably not for you because it is very sink or swim. Um, you can ask people, you can rely on people, but they're also relying on you because it's a small team. Right. So, um, yeah, I would say if, if this is a path for you, you do have to be able to advocate for yourself and do those things. I haven't, I would not be here if I didn't communicate exactly what I was feeling in the moments I was feeling them to my superiors. And I think it's important to have that relationship with your superiors too. So mm -hmm. if that's not, if that's not a relationship you have with them, then maybe it's time to evaluate how you either get there or move to something else. Because if you don't have that communication with them, if they're not actively there to help you, then they're not doing their job. Right. Right. Um, and I think that's important is like they they should be the ones wanting you to succeed and go to the next level. And another piece of advice that someone had given me on a co-op um, was if you feel like you are not learning something anymore, if you feel like you're stuck and you're not getting to that next level, it's time to move on. Whether it's new job, new position, new company, it's something that a change needs to happen if you feel like you are not growing. And so another big thing is just being comfortable with being uncomfortable. I was not comfortable moving out here when I first 
started. Um, it was an idea. No one, no one knew what was going to happen. Um, moving to a new company is uncomfortable. Moving to a new position is uncomfortable. But that's how you grow is when you get uncomfortable. When you stay comfortable, you don't develop as much. And I feel like that's important to know as well. Right. You might have already answered this, but my last question is always, uh, what is something you now know about life or careers that you look back and wish you had known when you were in high school? All of those things you just said would probably answer that question. Is there anything else you would say for that? If I could go back and tell myself one thing in high school that like would help me, just I think it would just be to not be afraid to communicate what you want. I feel like I I wasn't a communicator in high school. I feel like I still have some of those troubles now and I've I've grown a lot from that, but I I don't think I communicated I was I had the abilities to communicate enough and I feel like those skills are important and that quality is really important to have right right when you're when you're going into your career when you're going to college when you're doing interviews communication knowing what you want very, even if you don't know important. what you want right 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 and, and sometimes just talking about it is how you figure out what you want so so outstanding bailey uh really interesting story and path that you've taken. I really appreciate you sharing all of that and wish you good luck as you continue down uh, throughout your career journey. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I could talk about it all day. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Thank you, Bailey. Thank you for making the Joust About Careers podcast part of your day. I hope you learned valuable information from this career story. And to be sure you don't miss upcoming episodes, please click subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform so you'll know when the next episode is released. Thank you for spending a portion of your day with me. And as always, come back next week to learn even more just about careers.